We're going to be jumping right back into Luke again. Luke chapter 11, so go ahead and head that way. And what we're going to be seeing in this passage today, we're going to take in three segments, is that uh, Jesus is going to teach us what it means to, to be truly blessed. Uh, and then he's going to talk about Jonah, right? Jonah, the very worst missionary ever. Um, and, and finally, we're going to do some light theological discussion on whether someone comes to faith primarily uh, through outward evidence or primary through an inward uh, work of the Lord. And, and we're going to be talking about those things because that's what Jesus is talking about here. <clears throat> and like I said, we're going to read it in three segments because I have one of those memories that if I read it all at the beginning, I'll have no idea what's going on by the end of it. Uh, so it stays fresh in your mind that way. And we're going to be beginning in Luke chapter 11, uh, verse 27, and just reading these two verses to start. Uh, he is Jesus in this. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Father, would you clear away all distractions as we seek to understand this interaction of Jesus with this woman and later what the sign of Jonah is and, and all this strange talk about light and eyes and such in their last passage. Uh, may we not just understand it by the end of today, Lord, but would you work it into our hearts? Would, would you change us by it? Would you give us hope and understanding and, and work your word into our life? Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the situation here is pretty easy to understand. This woman has this huge high compliment for Mary, the mother of Jesus, right? She's saying, blessed is the womb that bore you and, and the breast at which you nursed. Um, blessed, right? When we hear this in Scripture, blessed is like God's favor, right? It's often considered happiness. But, but, but it's really more like God's favor and, and that the Lord brings joy to those who are blessed. Um, I know you get confused sometimes, we all do, whether it's blessed or blessed, and it's whatever sounds better in, in that particular sentence. Uh, so anyway, what she's really getting at here is she's saying, your, your, your mother, Jesus, she must be so incredibly proud uh, to be your mother, to have a son like you. And, and, and based on Jesus' response, there's, there's also this sense in what she's saying, Jesus, I, I wish I had a son like you, because then I, I too would be blessed. There's that desire that we hear in her words there. And Jesus responds here, right? And while he's correcting her statement, he's not saying that, you know, he's not correcting the fact that she calls Mary blessed. That's not the question here. You remember, probably not, because it was a long time ago now, but back in Luke chapter 1, verses 47 and 48. And if you have your Bible open, go ahead and turn back there real quick so you can see this. Uh, and, and you'll need it here in a little bit, too, again. Um, and, and Mary's singing this song, right? She's, she's just found out she's, she's pregnant with the Savior. Uh, and, and she refers to herself as blessed. Listen to this. Uh, verse 47, Luke 1, My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. 
And here is this woman calling Mary blessed. Now, uh, if you can, leave your finger there, something to mark that, so you can come right back to Luke 1 in just a moment. But, but first, I want to come back to our actual passage today, because Jesus does respond to this woman, and he says, uh, Blessed, rather, are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And it, and it kind of feels like there's this, this contradiction going on, as if he's saying, you know, my mom is not blessed. She's not blessed. I'll tell you who's blessed. But... but uh, you know, that look closer at that. He doesn't say that his mom is not blessed. It's not what he's saying. But, but rather that Mary's great blessing isn't merely that she carried in her womb and nursed at her breast uh, the Son of God. Rather, Mary's blessed because she heard the word of God and, and kept it. You see, keeping the word of God, that's a believing the word of God, believing the promises of God when, when he speaks to us in his word, truly believing it, right? And so if you've still got your mark back there in Luke 1, um, we'll go back there, Luke 4, verse 45 there, because this is about Mary, and you've you got to hear what it says here. It says this, Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. You hear that? So there's Mary was blessed because she believed the promises of God. She believed that, right? And so you start to see that's, that's more the reason why she's blessed. Uh, St. Augustine once wrote, uh, Mary was more blessed in accepting the faith of Christ than in conceiving the flesh of Christ. Or, or as Philip Ryken so beautifully kind of updates that statement, he says, Mary's most important relationship to Jesus was not as a mother to her son, but as a sinner to her Savior and as a disciple to her Lord. See, Jesus is, is telling this woman, he, he's telling the crowd, he's telling all of us now that it's recorded in Scripture, that you don't have to be the mother of the Messiah to be blessed by God. You simply need to hear the word of God and, and keep it. Right? But believe the gospel. And so maybe we, we ask ourselves, you know, how in my life am I, am I seeing that, that, the, that, that, that I hear the word of God, I hear the scriptures, and I, I keep it? Or, or maybe more simply, do I, do I really believe the promises of God in his word? And, and here's the amazing thing. If, if you do, you're blessed, right, by the Lord. Now, I realize you could unpack that a great deal, right? What does it mean to believe the word of God and such? But uh, we're going to move on right now uh, to our next section, which is starting in Luke eleven twenty nine, 29. Uh, and so that you, you know, um, just, just so you kind of understand this, sometimes it can seem a little weird because, because Jesus responds to people differently. And so you hear these, these statements from Jesus that sound very contradictory. And you've got to understand uh, that, that sometimes he's talking to someone with a, a heavy heart and, and he'll say something like Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all who, are, who labor, who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, right? And then other times when he's dealing with people with, with hard hearts uh, towards him, he'll come and he'll say something a little more harsher, a little more uh, direct. And that's what we're seeing here starting in verse 29. Uh, re- follow along as we read here. He says, when the crowds were increasing... He began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with these men, with the men of this generation, and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. 
The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. When I was uh, in my first year of being a youth pastor out in Kansas City, uh, we took a group of students down to the Elk River. It's kind of on the border near Arkansas, beautiful, clear water. Uh, and as we're canoeing on this first day on the river, we began passing these turtles that are on these, these uh, logs all over. They're kind of sunning themselves along the river. And uh, I was riding in a canoe with one of our elders at the church, a guy named Bob Raymond. And uh, the conversation came up. Somehow I'm explaining to him, I can catch one of these turtles with my bare hands. And he did not believe me at all. Not even a little bit. He, he said, uh, and see if you can finish this. He said, I'll believe it when, when I see it. See, he, he required substantial evidence. Prove this to me. I will not believe the words out of your mouth. Um, and, you know, it, it, it shouldn't really have surprised me that that's the way he interacted with me because Bob's from Missouri. And who knows the motto of the state of Missouri? The show me stay, right? I've always heard a long time ago that it was show me your license and registration. Um, that's not what it is. I actually looked it up to figure this out. It's, um, it, it's this. It's simply that we're unwilling to believe without adequate evidence. You've got to show us if we're going to believe what you're going to say. And it was originally said in a political context. Uh, of politicians coming back from Washington. But uh, to, to finish the previous story, just so you know how it ends, I, I ended up diving in and swam underwater to this turtle on the log, popped my head up and, and caught it. And from that moment forward, Bob actually believed me. Uh, it was only after that point. It's one of the weird talents I have in the world is that I can catch bare-handed turtles. I can catch turtles bare-handed. All turtles are bare-handed. <laughs> so then... <laughs> It appears in this interaction that Jesus is having that these Jews are from Missouri because they will not believe that he's the Messiah until he's going to show them some substantial evidence. That's what they're asking for here. And from the passage before, we might even say that because they do not, you know, that they are not blessed because they do not believe God's word as it is coming to them. They do not keep it. And Jesus places, you notice, an actual moral, ethical value on their way of demanding this sign from him. He calls them an evil generation. And Jesus says no sign like they demand is going to be given to them, right? But think already, right? How many signs has Jesus done among these people? And that's part of the amazing because the sign he's talking about is future, right? But there have already been tons of these signs. He's already along the way what, uh, fed, five, or fed thousands with five loaves and two fish. He's risen people from the dead. He's given sight to the blind, speech to the mute. He's cast out demons. He's healed a paralytic man. He, he healed a leper. He, he healed a, a man's withered hand. He, he healed a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. He, he's done all these signs, right? And these are just the ones that are recorded in Luke. And we know there's so many more that these people witness. And here they are still, right? They, they've had so many advantages over the Gentiles and, and, and others, right? They, they know the law. They know the prophets. They've grown up learning them uh, in the synagogue and other places. And, and here is Jesus, the, absolute, the actual fulfillment of God's promises. And he's standing right there among them, before them. And, and what's their response? What else can you do? Show me, Right? You haven't done enough to prove you're anything. We want irrefutable evidence. Now, it's not wrong as Christians for us to, to want evidence for our faith. 
Apologetics are good and helpful and fantastic and and used by the Lord in mighty ways, but it is possible that that we might demand too much evidence before we're willing to believe God's promises. That's the case here. Their their hearts are are proud, right, in their unbelief. And and here they are, they are rejecting Jesus, and and we're seeing it's not just sad, though it is terribly sad, but but Jesus calls it evil. And that's why he calls them the evil generation. Now, now, Jesus says no sign will be given except for one sign, right? What's the sign? Jonah, the sign of Jonah. Now, if you've been here the past year, you probably know the story of Jonah pretty well. Sam's been preaching on it. You at least know three quarters of it. You don't know how it ends yet. You'll have to wait for that. Um, now, it, it takes place 750 years before the birth of Jesus. And, and Jonah, right? We're calling him the worst missionary ever because he, he hates the Ninevites. He wants nothing to do with them. His fear is that if he goes and tells them, you know, God's word, they're going to repent and God's going to be merciful for them. And that'll be the worst thing in the world. Right. And we don't know why. Either he's a racist towards them and hates them. Maybe he's just an unmerciful punk for some reason and hates everybody. We don't know why he hates them so much. But but God is calling Jonah to be his prophet. And God tells him, you know, go go to Nineveh, preach, you know, call them to this repentance uh, or, or I'll destroy the city. And instead of going that direction, Jonah goes the exact opposite direction. He gets a ticket for uh, not Nineveh, basically. It goes the other way. And, and soon enough, a huge storm arises, uh, and the sailors are panicking, and it comes to light that, oh, it's because we have Jonah on board. And so you throw that man overboard, and immediately he's swallowed by a giant fish. Uh, yes, probably a whale. And uh, while in the belly... Jonah prays to God and he repents. And after three days, God causes this fish just to puke him up on the shore. Hopefully he cleans himself up a little. And then he goes to Nineveh uh, and tells them of God's judgment. And as Sam shows us, uh, showed us a few weeks ago in Jonah 3, in verse 5, we read, And the people of Nineveh believed God. They heard the word and they believed God. They were blessed, according to Jesus, right? They, they, they heard the word of God and they kept it. And remember, Jonah didn't do any miracles. None, right? Here's Jesus coming with all these miracles he's performing. Jesus does no miracles, no signs at all. He doesn't even like the people he's preaching to. Uh, you know, unlike Jesus, Jonah preached no grace, no love, no mercy, no, rege- no redemption, just judgment. And still, the Ninevites repented and they believed. That's why Jesus says in this this little section here that the Ninevites are going to rise up at the last judgment. And he's going to condemn this evil, uh, the evil generation, right? These hard-hearted Jews that he's interacting with. Because if, if the Ninevites repented at the message of Jonah, as pathetic as that was, how much more should these Jews at the preaching of Jesus? And for that matter, how much more should we today who, who live at a time that's after the sign of Jonah has already been given. Uh, I guess I should explain what the sign of Jonah is, right? And in one sense, Jesus is the sign of Jonah because, as we've seen, he's been preaching and calling people to repentance just like Jonah did. But, but more so, he's the sign of Jonah because, well, um, in Matthew 12, 40, the, the same interaction happens, but, but Matthew records a little statement by Jesus that Luke doesn't record for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, And Jesus explains the sign of Jonah saying this, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, 
So will the Son of Man, that meaning Jesus, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So you see what he's talking about, the sign of Jonah that will be given to the generation, even the evil generation, and has been given wherever the gospel's been preached ever since, in every generation, is, is Jesus' death and his resurrection. Three days in the belly of the earth. And, and so the resurrection then is this, this big, giant, Times Square-like sign that has been given to them, right? At this point, it's going to be given. In our point, it has been given. This is the absolute heart of the gospel. And, and, and so then in verse 31, it is this really strange story when we first read about it, right? The, uh, the Queen of the South. Now, uh, I can remember years ago hearing these, these two women have a debate whether Reba McIntyre or Dolly Parton was the Queen of the South. Right? I have no idea who Jesus would side with in that argument. Uh, what I do know is that he's not talking about country music at all, not, not in the least. No, see, the, the queen of the South that Jesus is talking about is, is this woman who is an African queen. Uh, and, and remember, Africa is south of Israel. Um, and, and she was also called the Queen of Sheba. Now, uh, you can read about her whole story in 1 Kings chapter 10 uh, if you want to go and do that at some time. But here's the gist of it. Um, she, she heard about the wealth and the wisdom of King Solomon, right? The reputation got to her. She's intrigued by this. And so she travels to Israel so that she can meet King Solomon. Now, the queen earnestly desires to know if, if Solomon is really as wise and as wealthy as people say that he is. And upon getting there, after spending time with him, her, her response is recorded in 1 Kings 10, 10, 7. And she says this. She says, your wisdom and your prosperity surpass the report that I heard. Right? So all this confusing stuff is really Jesus making this real simple point that, that, that this Gentile queen of the south genuinely sought uh, was genuinely seeking truth. And she sees it and she believes. Right? And here you are. Jewish people, the people of God, and, and you're not genuinely seeking truth, and you don't believe when truth is right in front of you. That's why Jesus says at the judgment, she's going to be there as an example, standing as a, a, a judgment against these Jews who will not believe in Jesus, who, who, whose wisdom is far superior to Solomon's ever was. So then, um, what do you think Jesus would say to our generation? Anytime you hear those kind of things, you, you kind of wonder, what, what do we say, right? Maybe, maybe we have to narrow this down. What, what would Jesus say to you? You know, are, are we believing God's word and keeping it? Or, or is our generation also seeking signs? You know, somehow prove yourself, God. Somehow show yourself. Now, on a, a quick side note, I don't want to go into this too far, but I do want to say that in the evangelical church over the last 60 years or so, there's been this, this massive movement called the charismatic movement. Um, it, it, here's the thing. It, it places a greater emphasis on miraculous signs than it does on God's word, simply put. And, and this morning, I only want to say this, that beware of any teacher, preacher, church, campus ministry that makes a bigger deal out of the charismatic signs, gifts, uh, than they do the Holy Scriptures. Beware of that, right? I mean, if, if one thing we see here is, you know, signs beyond the sign of Jonah, the resurrection, it, it cannot be the foundation uh, of your faith in Jesus. It can't be. 
You know, trust only in, in the word of God, in the scriptures, and in the way that God has revealed to us that way. Now, again, we'll leave it at that. Uh, remember Jesus' words in verse 28 today, right? Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and, and they keep it. Right? Are, are the Holy Scriptures indisputable evidence that can't be refuted? They are not. But, but God's word is sufficient. And, and if we truly believe God's word, it's because God gives us faith to believe it. Now, um, <clears throat> and believe it, we must, right? And, and, and that's the point here in these last four verses we're going to read. Let's, uh, let's pick back up. Verse 33 here. Um, <clears throat> no one, this is Jesus speaking again. No one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. So I'm just going to assume you understand that. We'll just leave it at that, right? Kidding. That's, anyone else read that and think, what in the world is he talking about? Like the first sentence, you're good, and then it kind of falls apart after that, right? Um, so let's, let's try to explain this. So in the first verse, Jesus is pointing out just real obvious use of a lamp. It's quite simple, actually, the first part is. Uh, like it would make no sense if we had been lighting the Advent candles over the last month, and then we just put a big box over them. We're like, there's a candle under there. Or if we took it down in the basement and we're just informing you, there happens to be a candle downstairs, right? Um, It'd make no sense. And and this was even more so in in this time period because lamps weren't decorative like we use them today. They were actually the the only source of light in any room that might be dark, uh, the sole source of light in a dark room. Uh, And and so in other words, the the lamp spreads light to the entire room. Uh, And and this is an illustration that Jesus is using. All of it is this this illustration, and it kind of changes how it's being used along the way. Uh, Jesus is the light here in this first part, and the light of the gospel message has not been hidden. That's part of the point. Jesus has been preaching and teaching in public. None of this is done secretly or, or in you know, hidden places. And, and so then Jesus describes the eye as the lamp of the body. It, it's the single point where light comes into your body. Okay. Now, here, think about light here as, as faith in Jesus for uh, you know, so for your inner body, your, 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 your heart, your soul, to, to believe that Jesus is the Savior. Um, for that to happen, light must pass through the eye. And this is why it gets confusing, because he's not talking about these eyes. He's talking about the light of the body. It's a spiritual statement about something you can't see. And he says here, right, he's talking about the light or in the eyeball, because that is something you can understand. Uh, and so what he's getting at is something like Paul explains in Ephesians 1.18 when, when he prays for each of the Ephesians to have the eyes of your hearts enlightened. And so again, Jesus is using the eye as an illustration. Why? Because we know how eyes work. Uh, when, when someone, in fact, you know, shines a flashlight in, into your face, right? Uh, uh, shines it at, at you. It's, it's not your hands. It's not your ears, right? It's not your skin or your nose that, that see the light. You don't, you don't do this when someone shines a light at you, right? Because it's your eyes that actually detect where the, where the light comes from. And so here's the thing. A, a healthy eye sees light, right? Everything comes into it properly and can see properly. An unhealthy eye does not. 
Um, so Laura, my wife, her eyesight is bad, like really bad. Um, in fact, without corrective lenses, she can't even tell me how many fingers I'm holding up to her. We try this every once in a while just to see, and it never works, uh, which might actually explain our relationship, right? <laughs> at some point, Laura's at her opto- optometrist, uh, and she asked him, you know, uh, how would I have survived before glasses and contacts exist? And, and he just told her quite, you know, well, you wouldn't. You'd be dead by now, right? And he tells you, you would have walked off some cliff you didn't see or walked up to a lion and gotten eaten. Something like that would have happened to you in the old days. Uh, you see, so, so Laura's bad eyes are, are like walking through darkness in some regard, right? Even in the brightness of, of noonday, if you can't, see what's around you, what's, what's properly, like understand it properly, uh, then it doesn't matter how brightly lit the lion is, right? If you can't really tell it's a lion, you're going to walk right up to it. And, and it's like that. You won't, you won't see truth. You won't see what is actually right in front of you. And, and so you start to understand where, where Jesus is going with this. See, the, the, the spiritual picture that Jesus is painting is, is this. When, when the eye of our soul is healthy, we, we can see the light of Jesus in the gospel. And the light of Jesus fills us completely. Thus, we believe Jesus is the Son of God. We believe he's the Messiah and our Savior. We, we believe Jesus died for our sin. We believe that he, he rose back to life. But, but if the eye of your soul is unhealthy, you won't believe because you can't see. And so we're going to be asking for a sign. You see how this is all connected to the previous passage then, right? Now, because there's, uh, not because there is no sign, but because we can't see it. When that's true, we're, we're like, say, a blind person standing behind, or right next to the giant golden arches at McDonald's, right? And all the while they're saying, where, where is McDonald's? If you just give me a sign, I'd know where McDonald's is. And meanwhile, you're like, it's right there. It's really bright. Uh, you know, it, or how about this? Those of you who live in town, any of you aware right now that there is a beagle missing named Uppy? Anyone seen a sign around town? You should have all seen the sign. There are about a thousand of them laminated that have been up for about three months at this point. Uh, there's no way you can miss this. If you don't know this, you might need to get your eyes checked out. Right? And, and it's, not because, it's not that you need another sign about Uppy missing to be aware of this at this point. Right? If you can't see it, something's wrong. And so then Jesus is saying that the reason that you still don't believe I am the Messiah is not because there is no sign. It's because, spiritually speaking, you're blind. And so you're living in darkness. That's why there really is no such thing as blind faith. Because if you have faith, any faith... It's because spiritually speaking, you, you have a healthy eye, you do see. And again, may, maybe not as perfectly or as confidently as you wish was the case, but you have eyes of faith. And in this context, Jesus is warning people who would call themselves religious, right? Who, those people who, they are standing in front of Jesus, they know who he is, they know who he's supposed to be. They've heard about the light of the gospel, but they still they don't have the light of Christ in them because of their spiritual blindness. So here's the deal. We, 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 do, not, we do not need, um, we don't need God to give us a bigger sign than the resurrection as it's revealed in his word. We don't. 
We, we don't need God to speak audibly to us in some miraculous way. We don't need him to grant some miraculous, con, you know, conditional demand we put on him to heal someone or something of nature. What we need are healthy eyes so that we can see the, the sign of Jonah, right? The sign of Christ. And, and listen, Laura can't make her eyes better. She, she can't will them to be healthy. And you know how these things work today? She, you know, her eyes are made healthy through glasses, through contacts, uh, with them, she can see light. That's why she hasn't walked off a cliff or tried to pet a lion at this point. When it comes to our, our souls, then, we, we need something along the lines of spiritual LASIK, right? And only the Holy Spirit is, is the one that can transform our, our spiritual blindness into true sight of a healthy eye. That's, that's why we need Jesus. So here's, here's what we do with this information. Number one, if, you are, if you're struggling to believe the gospel, so like I've been around Christians a while, I'm hearing a little bit here and there, and I'm just struggling to believe it, I, I want you to know you're in the right place. You, you can ask questions here. Uh, there aren't dumb questions you can ask. This is a great place to do that. We, everyone in here is welcome to, to engage in that. In fact, many of us have been exactly where you are. Wanting to believe, wanting to understand, and, and maybe just don't. But, but also pray to God. And, and pray, pray to Christ like, like Jesus taught us at the very beginning of chapter 11. You remember that? The, the annoying friend knocking on the door at 3 a.m. in the morning asking for bread because you, you got some people you want to feed with that, right? Pray like that. It would be all out. Ask God to give you a healthy eye, spiritually speaking, to, so you can see the light of Christ, so you can believe and, and have the hope of redemption and the death and the resurrection of Christ. Pray like we, we saw Paul pray, and I already mentioned it before, but in Ephesians 1.18, where he says, you know, that, that, that the eyes of your heart be enlightened. Ephesians 1.18. That's why Jesus concludes this passage by, by, by saying here, if then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you lights. That, that's a wonderful promise of the Lord. When, when God heals the eyes of our souls to, to see the brightness and the glory of, of Christ and the gospel, then the light of Jesus will, will shine into every dark corner of our lives. Until his glorious return when everything will be made light. And, and one last thing. Christians, your, your, your friends, your family, many of the people you know that, that may be unable to, to see the light as we speak of it, right? I want you to know that you, you can still describe this to them. You know, even without eyes, you can, you can tell them what, what you see in Christ. You can explain the sign to them. You can tell them how, how wonderful your, your Savior is, right? And, and, and you can show them in the scriptures and, and remember, you know, that you can pray for them and, and that, 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 that they would believe, you know, that, that God, and, and understand this, believe, truly understand that God may yet still give them eyes to see the beauty of Christ in the gospel. Truly. This sanctuary is filled with examples of that. At different stages in our lives and different points, but people that have, have looked at the gospel and not believed it, and God does a wonderful work, and they do believe it, and find hope and redemption. We've seen God do it throughout history. He can still do it, no matter how hard-hearted some of the people you are longing to see God redeem might be. Let's pray.
Father, if we are proud, would you humble us and and bring us to repentance? Would you make the lamp of our, our bodies healthy in the way your words describe? Lord, would you move us to pray for those we, we know and love who, who need eyes to see what is true, who, who need the hope of the gospel? And would you teach us to be blessed by your definition of, of that word, that we would hear your word and, and keep it by truly believing in all, all of it. And may we do this in the strength of the Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.